following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would uh, start turning towards Daniel 3. Uh, You're going to find that right after Ezekiel, right before Hosea. If you're still learning how to navigate your Bible, it'll be kind of starting the second half, going from front to back. Daniel 3. Uh, If you don't know, my name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here at Love City Church and uh, do a lot of the Bible teaching, and that's what I'm up here to do now. So we're going to get right into that. I I debated on how to do this. I think I I am just going to, we're going to read this whole chapter and you know, I have some things to say, but man, it's, uh, this, this chapter of scripture basically preaches itself. It's real, real good. And why are we here? Why are we in Daniel? Because we're in the, the tail end now. This is the last one, I think I promise, <laughs> of our Hearts Ablaze series that started in Easter. The premise of that being that in Luke 24, Jesus joined some disciples on the road to Emmaus, They were talking about the fact that he had been killed and they were sad and Jesus begins to talk to them about, you know, how they're feeling and what what it's about and all of that. And then then he breaks into, as a result of the fact that they clearly weren't seeing it, a Bible study linking all of the events of the Old Testament to him, right? It says that he went back into the scriptures, so at that point that would have had to have been the Hebrew scriptures, and he showed them about himself there. And then, and then these two guys, once they realized later it was Jesus, looked at each other and said, man, did our hearts not burn within us while we were on the road to Emmaus? And he was teaching us the scriptures. And so that's kind of the premise that we've been in. And we've been each week back in the Old Testament looking for uh, maybe some of what the content of that Bible study would have been and, and seeing the, the reality of the fact that all the scriptures do point to Jesus and that we have ample, more than enough reason for our hearts to also be ablaze with passion for Christ and for his gospel. Amen. So that's why we're here, and that's what we're doing. And this, I believe, is going gonna, is gonna to cap this sermon series off. I thought that before, but I'm pretty sure this time. Okay? So Daniel 3, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up, that's very big, uh, like maybe nine feet square by almost 60 feet tall. Um, Probably not solid gold, that would have been almost impossible, but building with wood and overlaying with gold is a kind of a common building practice then, so that's probably what we're looking at. Uh, He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps and the, and the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of a horn, flute, lyre, Trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. 
And therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, it's a fairly famous story. If you know the story, you know he's about to find out. He is about to find out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Ooh! Come on. That should be doing something to you right now. Let me help you. Spiritual, is my heart ablaze? Take, take your temperature right now. Because something ought to be happening. Hearing that right there. Man, boy. Okay. So what happens? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God. And come here. Oh, he found out, didn't he? He found something out, didn't he? Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps and the prefects, the governors of the king's high officials, gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. 
violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from them and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Praise God for his word. Amen. See, I told you, you really don't need me to say much after that, do you? I mean, Lord Jesus, that's good. Okay, but I'm going to say some stuff. I'm sure you knew that. All right, so... Moving, moving from the beginning forward, I think it's interesting. I mean, the writer of this, Lord, I wish, I wish they could just say all the leaders <laughs> and all the instruments, but man, we, you know, whew, okay. But one thing that's interesting, I just think, I don't have a ton of time to say anything about this, but it's just a thought while we're here that is probably worth mentioning. It, it, it's just interesting that woven into this idol worship that Nebuchadnezzar was commanding was, was the use of music. It's very prominent. Every time you hear all of these instruments, this is what I want you to do. I just think we should just put a pin in that to think about, maybe pray about the reality of, of what kind of effect music can have, how it can be used against us, right? Because music is God's gift to us, amen? But all kinds of things that are good gifts from God get perverted and twisted and end up working against us, right? Music's ultimate purpose, I believe, is to give rhythm to our worship to God. You can think about that. You may maybe not like it right off the bat, but think about it a minute. I'm talking about all the way back when, when God in his eternal Trinitarian state before he's created anything, what he's thinking about the purpose of music. I'm going to put into my creation the ability for tones and harmony and all of that. And then in humans, I'm going to give them the ability to perceive that and do something with it. What was his point in all that? Well, probably not to you know have a lot of the frivolity and, and silliness that ends up we end up using that gift for sometimes, okay? And I'm not saying music for entertainment is bad. Everyone calm down, my goodness. I wish you could see your faces. Well, what are you, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything, man, other than, like, let's think about ultimate purposes and let's also be wary of the reality that, that good gifts God's given us can be used against us, okay? The music was a part of this, this worship right here and you guys understand, I'm sure you're smart enough to know, music can have an effect on you one way or the other. Okay, it's, it has influential power and, and God wove into us the fact that we respond to it that way. But let's just be aware, right, of, of how that is working. Amen. Okay, let's get off of that. You guys didn't like that at all. Let's do something else here. Lord, help us. Okay, <laughs> so we, we got the music, we got the command, we got the Chaldeans ratting out, right? And of course, that's probably politically motivated, um, they probably didn't like the fact that, so what are, where are we at here? These, these Jews and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were friends of Daniel, okay? And so these guys have been lifted to a place of prominence, but they're, they're exiled, okay? They're, they're in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. They, they came as foreign prisoners, right? But then God is blessing them even in the midst of that very difficult situation. So they're being raised up to prominence. And so the, the native Babylonians or some of the other conquered peoples that are now a part of this kind of Babylonian mega political structure, they're not going to like the fact that these other, there's, you know, there's, there's competition and contest. So these guys are, you know, just doofuses basically. And so they're looking for anything to try to get these guys in trouble. And, and, and they notice obviously that these guys are, are, they're not bowing down. They're not doing the thing when the music starts. 
like everybody else. So that brings us, that brings us to uh, verse 18. Look at, look at me, or look, don't look at me, look at it, this with me. Start in 17. If, if it be so, okay, <clears throat> well, no, let's start at 16. Because basically, Nebuchadnezzar says all he has to say, and, and, and he get, often as tyrants do, he, he, he brings them in, and maybe to his credit, he, elite, he doesn't just take the accusation of these Chaldeans. He brings them in and actually asks them, okay, guys, is this true what I'm hearing? You're not, you're not worshiping my big gold obelisk here? And uh, the answer <laughs> is no. But uh, he lets them know, okay, well, one, one last chance. We'll do it again. We'll strike the music. Maybe you didn't hear it. And oftentimes, there'll, there'll be then a public chance to decide whether you're going to stand for the Lord when it's all the scrutiny's on you. Uh, it's a pretty common practice of those that would, that would persecute uh, people of faith. But so he, he gives them a chance, and uh, basically here's the response of, <laughs> of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, starting in verse 16. They replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If, if, if <laughs> man, you know, this is, this is the guy who thinks he's the king of kings at this time. You understand? This is, this is the guy, you know, when he, when he says, and what God can deliver you, really, Nebuchadnezzar's the kind of guy that would see himself as the highest divinity around. He, he doesn't have respect for anybody's gods because he sees himself, really, as the one that should be worshipped. That's really what's going on here. But, okay, so we don't need to give any answer concerning this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, even if he does not, even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There is so much in that, but even if he does not. There's, that, that says so much. What, what does that say? That says, first of all, that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, regardless of the outcome, God is good. They know they can trust God's goodness. Regardless of the outcome, they know God is powerful. Listen, king, I know you think you're the man, but my God can deliver me, not only from the furnace you want to put me in, but out of your very hand, sir. Okay? They know God's goodness. They know God's power. They know God's faithfulness, regardless of the outcome here. Right? No matter what, we're not worshiping that, and we're not worshiping you, really, vicariously, because there's only one God who is worthy of our worship, and we know that. Now, part of what this reveals, I think, or what it, what it should help us key into, is what I would call the, the nature of, of true faith, because there's confusion about what faith, genuine biblical faith, looks like. There, there are... There are movements, and it's even been co-opted somewhat, and it's, I think it's gotten more prominent recently in, in kind of the, the cultural vernacular, this idea of uh, manifesting things, right? That basically, if, if you believe it hard enough, you believe with all your heart, like Disney says, right? It, I didn't mean to bring up Disney, good Lord, that's a whole different thing. I'm not, that's not why I said that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start a riot in here on family meal day. <laughs> Supposed to eat together after this, good Lord. You, but forget about what I just said. It, it's about, it, it puts the focus on you. If I believe hard enough, I can make it happen. I can manifest it. Well, is that, and that literally, I, I know that's, 
there's kind of a cultural thing. You guys probably have heard about that. But there's, there's literally uh, those that would, would claim the name of Christ that teach something very similar. They may not use the same language of manifest. Sometimes they might. But the point is very much a focus on if, if I believe it hard enough, I can get the outcome that I, that I want. I can, get the best, I can get the best outcome I can imagine to happen. And, and what's standing between me and that is, is whether I can exert enough faith, real faith. Do I have real faith? Do I have true, genuine faith? Then what I want, what I think, what I desire is going to happen. Was well, that real faith? I would contend that it takes far more faith, genuine biblical faith, to instead of insisting upon best outcome as I can see it from my vantage point, yielding myself to the best outcome as God sees it. And that is very clear and apparent for these three fellows right here. Our God can deliver us, Nezer, my man, but even if he doesn't, it changes nothing about who he is, his character, how much I'm going to trust him. Nothing. That is true biblical faith. That's faith that isn't going to move. That's faith that doesn't shake or shimmy up under the pressure of difficulty. Amen. Now, is what I'm saying that we never have the ability to come to God and make requests by faith and to ask for things? Absolutely, I'm not saying that. The Bible is clear that God invites us to do that. But even when I come asking, I want to be aware of, first of all, and, and, and willing to, to vocalize to the Lord in humility, Lord, this, I'm asking for this, but even if not, you are still good, you are still holy, you still are worthy of all my trust and worship. Because I have a limited vantage point. I don't see everything you see. And I think... <clears throat> So the true nature of biblical faith, I think, is, is really well exemplified here. I think it can also lead us to think about uh, how, we, how we deal with difficult situations. Can, would you guys agree with me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in what would probably classify fairly as a difficult situation here? This is a pretty tough one. There's a, a big furnace and a king saying, do this or I throw you in there. Right? That's intense. It's a, it's a big deal. But there, so, I mean, that's really rough, very difficult situation, but there's, there's many other, I mean, conceivably we could think of something even more difficult than that, but there's many things that are less difficult than that. But we, we do in this world have to deal with difficult situations. Everyone already figured that out so far, living a little bit of life. You guys know there's difficult situations, right? Like the world is not yet perfect and uh, fully redeemed, which is the end goal and will be accomplished by the power of God. But in the middle part here, we've got difficult stuff to deal with. And there's, there's three, maybe more, but three we're going to focus on, potential approaches to difficult situations and how we, how we approach them, how we deal with them, how we, how we think about them and, and, and feel about them. And, and, and what the application of faith looks like towards them. And so, and, and when I'm thinking of difficult situations, it's, it could be something like this, very real difficult persecution. I'm thinking about 
difficult family situations, struggles with spouses, struggles with children. I'm thinking about struggles with jobs. I'm thinking about all of the real life difficult stuff we're all navigating through at varying levels every day. Okay? How do I, how do I deal with that? How do I approach that? How do I think biblically about that? And what are some of the ways to think unbiblically about it that are common? Well, I think the first temptation or tendency on, on one side of this is to just become calloused. To become calloused. When it comes to difficult situations, when it comes to challenges ahead of us, there can be this temptation to just harden our heart and get to the point where we get this kind of attitude like, well, I just don't care about it. Sometimes we can work really hard to convince ourselves, well, this is, this is hard and it's hard to deal with, and so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to care about it. I don't care. Now, if we're honest and we dug way down in there, you know, a, a callus is a surface level hardening of the skin. There's still gooey stuff under there. But what we can do is build stuff up on top of it. And we can try to hide the reality. And we can try to convince ourselves, oh, well, this, this thing that's bothering me, it's, it really doesn't bother me. This thing that's pretty important and matters, well, forget it. It really doesn't matter. This is a coping mechanism, you understand what I'm saying? To get calloused about it. That's one potential approach. It's an unhelpful approach. It's a, it's a temporary band-aid that will end up blowing up on us uh, because those, those calluses break open <laughs> and, and then normally the destruction is great. There's an opposite end of, of that to, to kind of just go, eh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to act like I don't care. I'm going to try to really convince myself I don't care. Maybe some of you in certain situations have legitimately been able to convince yourself that you don't care. That's where you're at. The callus is thick. You've been successful in that. I get that maybe that's worked temporarily, but can I just humbly and lovingly encourage you and say that is a coping mechanism and it's not God's best. It's not the best way for you to deal with whatever it is that's troubling you. And it'll hurt you in the long run. The other end of the spectrum is to run to uh, what, what is very common. I would say that's our tendency when it comes to difficult things of wanting to control it. So you can callous yourself, or you can try very hard to control it. And I don't want to break down into arbitrary statistics, but I think probably more often than not, this is our tendency. We are deceived into thinking we can control stuff very often. And what am I talking about? Well, think about, I, I mentioned challenges with a spouse, challenges with kids. Let's use kids for an example. Kids are... There's a challenge with children, whether they're ill or they're misbehaving or they're getting older and they're actually rebelling. What, what, how do I think about that difficulty? What, what happens in my heart and head when I think about it? Am I, am, am I actually deluded into thinking that if I exert enough effort, I can, I can go wrangle and control and make things happen the way I want them to happen? That I have that much power? Or maybe a worse iteration of that is to... Is to think, it's to believe that false belief we talked about in the beginning that, well, okay, obviously I don't have the power to do it, but God does. And I see exactly what should happen here and how to fix this. So we end up trying to vicariously use, use God to control the situation the way we want. I'm going to exert enough of my faith and, and, then, and, and make God do what I want to happen. Ooh. That's, that's a scary proposition. Probably not the right way to approach the Lord, thinking that we're going to puppet master him somehow. Oh, well, he has the power to do it, and my faith can make him do what I want him to do. Nope. 
Let's back off of that one real fast. <laughs> Amen? So we can get calloused about it. We can try to move towards control. And look, it's not... That's tricky, man, because a lot of times that impulse to try to control, it's, it's coming from a, a, a motive of, of love and care, right? A lot of times it's not that, you know, you're, you're, you have any nefarious motive down at the core, but... It's, it, can, it can be a, a good desire to see somebody stop doing what's going to lead to pain for them or um, maybe what their actions are doing are causing pain for you. Even not wanting that to happen is not necessarily a bad motive. But when we start thinking that, okay, well, I can, I can grab a hold of this and I can make something happen with it. What, and, you know, we talked about kids. It could be, it could be with your job. We, what I'm saying is, Instead of, getting, instead of being deluded into standing in a place of thinking, I can control things, coming to the place of understanding. Our problem is, how do, we st- how do we get deceived like that? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. How do we get deceived into thinking that we can control stuff? Well, pr- part of the problem is, it would help many of us if, if, if like, an all-powerful king grabbed a hold of us and said, you're going to do this or I'm going to throw you in a furnace. All of a sudden, that would help you realize, ooh, <laughs> I'm actually not in control of anything. Right? Because, you know, even some of the dudes in here, we've seen a bunch of movies like, oh, I would have grabbed one of those soldiers' swords and I would have cut my way out of there. Yeah, okay, bro. Like, chill out, my man. Maybe you would, but here's what I'm saying. Uh, there was a lot more of them than, than there, there was a lot more soldiers than there was these three guys. And ultimately, they would have lost and they would have been back where they were, bound in front of the king. There, there are, there's many things you can't control. And, and, and we're not as tough as we think we are. Right? That's a good thing for us to know. Coming to a place of... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they couldn't control the situation. Our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we ain't worshiping that. And he's still worthy of our worship. There's, instead of just callousing ourselves, trying to pretend like we don't care, or instead of running over here and trying to control everything... There's, there's another approach we can take, and it's, it's what I think is, is a good description of what we see happening here in Daniel 3. This is the route I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took. And I'm going to use the word capitulation for that. And the reason I'm using that word uh, at one level is there's several of you, of you in here that appreciate alliteration. And so that was callous, control, and capitulation. Amen. The second reason I'm using it is it's actually a really good word for what I'm trying to say. Now, many of you, I don't, maybe you don't know what the word capitulation is at all. Let me, or, or maybe if you do know it, you've probably heard it in a negative context. Like if somebody capitulates, that's normally, there's normally a negative sense to that. The most common way you'll hear it used in English in America oftentimes is referencing like financial markets. So when investors finally get to the point where you know, like the market keeps moving a certain way. And oftentimes what traders are trying to do in the market is they're trying to counter that and, and make money as this is moving this way, but they're trying to go against the, the grain a little bit. There's a point where the market just kind of overwhelms them. And that idea is when they finally give up and quit trying to fight the way it seems like the market wants to go, that'll be called capitulation. Okay. Now, maybe you're like, oh, that's so boring, dude. You said a bunch of financial stuff. Okay. So let me use a different analogy. It would be like this. Okay. Let's say you're swimming up a river against the current. The point where you would be so exhausted you're no longer going to be able to swim against the current, that very stopping point, that's where you would be capitulating. 
and then begin to go with the flow of the river. Okay? This is what I'm saying is the right approach to difficult situations in terms of our posture before God. There's, you know, capitulation has a few different um, definitions. The one that I'm keyed in on and why we're using the word here is this. It's the action of surrendering or ceasing to resist an opponent or a demand. And so synonyms for capitulation, submission, surrender. These are, these are the kind of words that I think describe the right way for us to position ourselves before God in the face of difficult situations. Not callous myself, try to pretend I don't care about it. Not think that I'm in, not be so foolish as to think I'm going to control the thing either with my own strength or by somehow making God do it through, through my faith, but standing in a place of trust, surrender, submission, and capitulate to the reality that God is God and I am not. And find out that the only shot I really have, think about, believe, really, truly, exert my faith towards this, solidifying myself in the position of understanding, my only hope is him. It always has been. It always will be. It's always been God. Amen. And sometimes, you know, I was worried about that river analogy because the most common way I hear that analogy used is talking about Christians kind of swimming against the current of the world and kind of sinful cultural influences, right? And that, that you know, I've heard it said that uh, a dead thing can't swim against the current, only a living thing. And so there is that idea and there is some truth to the analogy being used that way. But when I think about this idea and, and trying to <clears throat> help us understand practically what it looks like to live in the way I think these three guys are exemplifying as they stand before Nebuchadnezzar, it, it's not so much that there's one river, but there's two. It's not so much that I'm, I'm swimming against the current of culture as we're trying to think about this. Really what, what it is is it's like there's two rivers and they're in view of each other. There's a little skinny piece of land in the middle. There's two rivers. One river flows the way of the world. And there's a whole bunch of people in there. A lot of them look like they're having fun. A lot of them look really miserable. But a bunch of people in there and that river's flowing that way. And then there's a river over here and it flows the opposite way. And that river represents the will of God, represents the countercultural way that God's kingdom works, the inside, upside down, inside out, upside down nature of the kingdom of God, where the first is last and the last is first, where those that are, are willing to go the lowest to serve are raised to the highest, right? This, all of this wild stuff that God has called us to and, and showed us is real in Christ, right? And so you got a river flowing each way. And, and the question here is, it's, it's, I, as, I was trying, as I was thinking of that analogy and, and how to lay that out, I'll tell you what came, Joshua of old came to mind standing before the people. Joshua standing before the people and saying, listen, man, here's the reality, everybody. Today, you're going to have to choose who you're going to serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. What river do you want to float in? He, of course, said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And there's a real reality to that. You've got to decide which current you want to roll with. Now, we are so silly that sometimes we can make the right initial choice and we'll jump in the river flowing the right way, 
but then in the midst of the thing, we get confused again, turn around and start trying to swim against the current. Can anybody else in here other than me ever done that? Swam against the current of the river facing God's way. Yes, many times. But thankfully, he's very patient and merciful and he'll throw you a floaty before you drown yourself. Because he loves you. <laughs> and he knows sometimes we're a little dumb dumbs, aren't we? We are. Amen. Okay, so you can... <clears throat> What's the big summary there? Friends, I want you to think about next time you're faced with a difficult situation. What's your heart posture before God? Are you, how are you coping with the reality that you're faced with a great difficulty? Or a little difficulty? They're all, they all have to be dealt with, don't they? We're either going to try to ignore it, callous ourselves... Or we're going to try to control it, think that we can, or we'll try to get God to do it for us. Or we can capitulate. We can surrender. We can stand in the same place these guys did and say, look, God can do this. I, look, for, for them, I mean, clearly, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't you think they had an idea of what best case scenario was with the whole furnace thing? Yeah, like that, that we don't end up dying in the furnace. Probably best, but, right? But don't, don't you understand how big of a deal it is that they were, they were willing, they were open to the fact that if they were not delivered from the furnace, that, that that's okay. That, that, then God's purposes are going to be fulfilled a different way than how I, I would maybe prefer. Why y'all so quiet? I know. It's, this is a little bit difficult to swallow, and, and, and I know some of you are, are running through the grid of some of the things you're dealing with right now, and you're judging yourself by the power of the Spirit, and that's a good thing. That's what you should be doing, because this is real, and it's not, it's not just about that this is the most glorifying thing to God for us to walk in this way. It's not just about that this is the thing that makes those that are part of the kingdom reflect greatest how worthy of worship God is. It's not just about that, though all of those things are true. It's this, this is actually what's best for us, to walk in a place of true and full surrender before God, to capitulate to him. That's the thing, man. When, you, when you're capitulating, if you capitulate to anything else, it is negative. If I'm capitulating to market forces, or I'm capitulating to a wicked king, or I'm capitulating to what a, a wicked government or, or, or whatever force might be coming against me, the forces of darkness themselves. I, I can't capitulate in faith and safety to anything other than a God who is eternal, holy, perfect, good, powerful always. To him, I can yield. And I'm always okay. Aren't, are you happy about that? That's a good thing, man. That there's a place to go. There's a place I can surrender and be safe. There's a person to whom I can lay down all my arms and all my preferences and all my pride and say, hey man, I'm with you. Wherever we go, I know it's going to be good. It might be hard, but I know it's going to be good. I trust you. Man, it's easy to take for granted that, that we have that. And sometimes it's hard to actually walk in the privilege of it. But may God help us. Let's look at verse 25. Pastor Vince, you said you didn't have a lot to say about this. Well, you knew that wasn't all that true. I don't have a lot compared to maybe other things. So there, that's what I meant. Okay, verse 25. So Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to back it up. Nebuchadnezzar the king, I'm on 24. The king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it, was it not three 
Men, we cast a pound in the midst of the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. So his top guys can do math. That's, that's encouraging. Verse 25, he said, <laughs> he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So what's the point of the Heart of Blaze series? We're going back into the Old Testament looking for what? Jesus. We found him. Now, <laughs> there's debate, all right? There's, I don't know why people, whatever. There's debate because later Nebuchadnezzar says that the most high God, which I think is so awesome. It's so funny and ironic and awesome to me that on a dime, Nebuchadnezzar went from what God's going to deliver you to the most high God. (laughs) I mean, I guess if I saw these guys rolling around in the furnace, having a good time, I'd I'd probably change my tune as well, but it's just, man, it's so good. But here's, here's what we're here for. Oh, the debate. Cause he says in the most high God sent an angel to deliver him. But I, I look for me personally, I'll just tell you, I'm gonna tell you where I stand. I think it's very intentional that Nebuchadnezzar, of all the things he could have said about whatever this figure looked like in the furnace, that he didn't, because couldn't he have just said, and the fourth looks like a god? Why'd he say a son of the gods? Okay, I think the Lord in his sovereignty wanted to make sure we knew who popped up in the furnace with these fellas. I think his name is Jesus, okay? Here he is. So, hallelujah. Can you imagine? Look. Road to Emmaus, right? He's working through the biblical timeline. He's like, oh, 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 boys, hey, you guys remember the fourth man in the furnace? That was me. Woo, man. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, man, this is good. Okay, so what, what, why are we here? What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Oh, this is it. They made very sure to tell us. I thought it was interesting. there's a lot of repetition in this with instruments and the names of the leaders and all this, but I think this repetition uh, was was on purpose. So it it tells us multiple times, okay, that they were tied up. Uh, then Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, okay? That's verse 21. Um, then, uh, verse 23, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the fire, the furnace of blazing fire, couldn't they have stopped right there? Still tied up. There seems to be this emphasis over and over again. These guys were tied up. Okay? It keeps telling you that. And then when Nebuchadnezzar's, what, what is he geeked out about? I see four men loosed. Okay? And walking about in the midst of the fire. Without harm in the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So here's, I just, here's what I want to say. <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know if, if the, the, in the, whatever this pre-incarnate appearance of Christ is in the furnace, I don't know if, if Jesus unbound these guys or if just the heat of the fire burned those ropes off. It doesn't give us that detail, but here's what I know for certain. Their binding came off in the flames, So whether it was the fire itself, which I think would be the cutest and most ironic way for God to do it, personally, so I, because, because I think I'm, 
I got a little bit of a hint of God's sense of humor from other stuff. I kind of think the fire burned the ropes off, but nothing else on the guys, right? They come out, not even the smell of smoke on their clothes, but the fire burned the ropes off of them. But Jesus might have run in there and, you know, snip, snip. I don't know. He could have had scissors, whatever. Does he need them? Probably not, you know. Just, he can knife hand the thing and off it goes. He's got laser cutting hands, whatever. He can do whatever he wants. Looks like the son of the gods, man. Right. Look, all my science fiction crew back there when I said laser hands. Look, my man's never clapped in a sermon one time in his life. I said laser hands. Love you guys. The science fiction group. All right. We got lightsaber hands on Jesus. Listen, that is not what I'm saying. I'm not claiming that as a real, I don't know. Okay. I think the fire did it. That's what I'm saying. That's my personal opinion. Which, which, what does that tell you? Who wants to jump up? I mean, if the fire burned the ropes off, can you just come up here and preach a sermon about that? You should be able to. I mean, goodness gracious. What does that say to us, man? Well, that takes me directly to Romans 5. We do not rejoice only in our salvation, but also in our tribulation, because tribulation gives way to perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and the hope will not disappoint. The very fact that God delights in taking the very thing meant to destroy you and using it to make you more like him. He delights in it. He delights in the irony of it. He delights in showing his great power in doing it over and over and over again. Woo! Now, you, okay, I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to take a volunteer to come up here and preach a sermon, but can you at least take that principle and apply it to your life? That's what I need you to do. I don't want to run through 25 examples and try to spoon feed you how that works, but it works. It's real. It's important. It matters. And it's going to absolutely contribute to whether or not you live with a heart ablaze for God. Because we spent the first three weeks of this sermon series talking about hurdles to a heart ablaze, and those are real. And, and, the, and things like this, fiery furnaces can be a damper to our, our excitement about the things of God. Whatever the fiery furnace is in your life right now, it absolutely can act as a damper. But what God means for it to do is be the exact opposite. The fire here is what, it lit the flame, man. And it, it wasn't just for these boys who were already pretty committed. They were already pretty in, right? With the whole like, hey, our God, look, he can deliver us or not. It's cool, but we're going to worship him alone. Like they were already on board. But after this, it's... So they have a fire in their heart. They, they, they're ablaze for God. They, they walk into a very intense, difficult situation with the genuine biblical faith. And what comes out the other side is other people's hearts start to be ignited. We got people like Nebuchadnezzar who started this whole story out with, and what God's going to deliver you from my hand. Coming out the backside of it with, hey, this, these guys are with the most high God. Talk bad about them and I will flatten your house. Now, that's not great either, okay? We don't believe in forced worship. Nebuchadnezzar overcorrected a bit here in his zeal, all right? <laughs> you can't force anybody to love the Lord. Um, you know, I guess you can flatten their house if they talk smack about him, but we shouldn't do that either. I don't think that's a good plan. <laughs> but you see what I'm talking about, man? Look, Oftentimes, those, those, those hurdles, those difficult points in our life that, that the enemy would mean to, to dampen our passion for God, man, our faith can grow in the flames of those things. 
Freedom is gained in those flames. And, and oftentimes our future is shaped in those flames. It's in the midst of those things. Can we get to the point, by the help of God, to a level of spiritual maturity that, man, when in the midst of difficult things, we're able to thank God for the challenge and we're able to do what Romans 5 says. We, did you hear what I said? We do not only rejoice in our salvation. That's easy. We also rejoice in our tribulation. That's wild. That's one of the things that when, when, when we're called a peculiar people as Christ followers, that right there is one of the things that makes us weird. That I am so convinced of my God's goodness, power, and faithfulness that in the midst of tribulation, and look, if when these boys were in the furnace, it's not like they had a, they, there wasn't, they weren't in a vantage point where they could see lots of options. There's fire everywhere, right? Okay, so look, sometimes in the, in the midst of the difficulty, you are not, this is part back to you're not in control. Sometimes in the midst of the thing, you're not going to be able to see how any good could come of it. You're not going to be able to even see a way out. But can you walk by faith and not by sight? And what will help with that? Staying in a place where our hearts are already ablaze. So when, when the Nebuchadnezzar type situation comes, our answer is already, do what you want, my God's going to handle it. Lots of different ways he can do it, but whatever he does is right and good. And I'm on board. Ooh, how do you beat a person like that? A person that stands in a place like that, how do, you, how do you beat them? I don't see how you could. Amen. Look at verses, no, I'm not going to read them again. 26 through 30, I already kind of joked about what happens, okay? So it's not just that these guys are rescued, but Nebuchadnezzar comes out the other side and says, okay, these guys' God is real, and anybody talks bad about them, we're going to handle you, Okay? So that's an outcome. That's a pretty rad outcome to Daniel 3, right? That's what I said. This thing, this, this chapter just kind of preaches itself. You really could just read it and, and be done and be so encouraged and, and be taught a lot about how faithful God is and worthy to be trusted. But here's a question I have for you. This ended this way. The, the ropes were burned off, I think. The ropes are burned off. He does come and call them. They come out of the furnace, there's a big declaration of, okay, yep, these guys, God, that's the one. Great end to the story. But let me ask you something. What if they had been vaporized in the furnace? What if you read Daniel 3, they toss them in, and the end of the story is, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went up in flames, vaporized, and were gone. That's the end of Daniel 3. Here's my question. Is the story any less powerful or impactful if that was the way it went? I want you to think about it. Think about how you really feel about that. Don't try to guess what the right answer is. It's a good self-reflection moment. Would we like this so much? Would we teach it to our, would we have little felt boards with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down in kids' discipleship? <laughs> right? If the end of the story was, and they're gone. Well, you probably guessed the right answer. I want to I lay out this premise. I think, it's, I think it's just as powerful because of what they said before they got thrown in. Well, I don't know. I, I think the scriptures agree. This is, this is how we're going to end. This, I think, this right here is why I think the Lord kept troubling me and wouldn't let me end this sermon series. 
because it would have been a tragedy to end this sermon series without reading this. Let me read this to you. And, and, and with, the thought, with the question that I just asked you in mind, if this story would have ended with those guys being vaporized in the furnace along with the guys that threw them in there, would the story be any less powerful or less impactful? Should it be? I'm in Hebrews 11. I know many of you know it, but listen to it and, and with, with me in context of everything that we've just been in. I'm talking for the last weeks, not just today, but today in particular. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. For by it, the people of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the world had, has been created by the word of God so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was attested to be righteous. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. Before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and become an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeying by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and, and one who was as good as dead at that, there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as the innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promise was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. By faith he 
kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after the Israelites had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and flogging and further chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts on mountains and sheltering in caves and holes in the ground. And all these, all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Why did I just read that to you? One, because we just spent several weeks going through the Old Testament, looking for Jesus and looking for the gospel. Hebrews 11 is a great summary of that. Did you catch the end? See, normally we think of Hebrews 11, we think of all the heroes by name. We think, yeah, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Rahab, by faith. We forget about these known names at the end. Why did I just read you this? What was the question I asked you to be thinking about? If the end of the story in Daniel 3 was they got thrown in the furnace and that was the end, how does Hebrews 11 talk about these guys? They were stoned, sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, people of whom the world was not worthy. And all these having gained approval through their faith. The answer is, in my view, Daniel 3 is no less powerful and no less impactful if they would have vaporized in the furnace. Why? Because our ultimate hope, friends, is in deliverance from the eternal furnace of being separated from God's perfect presence. Our ultimate hope is eternal. And so if the whole story was, look, these three boys were so convinced in God's faithfulness, they were willing to stand before Nebuchadnezzar even though it cost them their life, That's just as cool and just as inspiring and just as instructive for me as the fact that God this time burned the ropes off, brought them out, and caused a ruckus. What does that mean? How can you take that idea and apply it to what it is you're going through? I'm going to leave you and the Holy Spirit to figure that out. Amen. Will you pray? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. For Daniel 3, thank you. (laughs) that you're the one that uses the same flames meant to destroy someone to set us free. God, you've done it so many times already. Uh, Some of us, God, we've been walking with you long enough. We can look back and we can see examples uh, where you've done this in our own lives. Some of us, Lord, uh, we, we can't yet. We don't have that kind of hindsight. But Lord, I'm asking in your gracious mercy to open our eyes to how your faithfulness works in these things. I'm asking you to help us, Lord, not to fall into those pitfalls of callousing ourselves as a coping mechanism or or being so foolish as to think we can control everything, but help us, Master, to capitulate, to surrender, to lay down 
uh, all of our opinions and our pride and anything that would stop us from totally trusting and surrendering to you. That is what we were made for. That is where we're going to find hope, joy, peace, and the fulfilling of the purpose that you have for us. It's surrendered to you. Lord, let us, let us get in that river and flow with the current in the direction that you're sending us. Thank you that your plan for us is not just big and broad. It's not just all of us as your church, all of us as who are a part of your kingdom, but it comes down to the, the micro level of each one of us. You care about each of us. You see where each of us are at. You're near to the brokenhearted. You're near to the struggling. You've always been faithful to every one of your promises. And Lord, when we're struggling to believe that, when, when we, we, maybe we think of Daniel 3 and we think of that story and maybe it's like, well, that was then. Lord, help us when we need to be reminded of how faithful you are and how absolutely capable you are of keeping your promises, help us by your spirit always go back to the cross and the empty tomb because that is the promise of promises that you fulfilled. Of all the ones that were gonna be hard to pull off, it was that one. Lord, that you brought redemption to a broken world through Christ's death and resurrection. If you can do that, if you're willing to do that, if you, if you can and you will do that, and God, in whatever it is we're facing, you deserve our trust. Help us be worshipful with our trust. And Lord, I ask that our hearts would be absolutely on fire with excitement, thankfulness, gratitude, passion for who you are and for what it is you've called us to do. Thank you. You're faithful and good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.